Hi, this is Anthony Esposito from the infamous Ace Freely Band. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hi, this is Bruce Kewley. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Hey everyone, this is Dave Menachetti from YNT. This is Dave Starr from Wildstar. What's up, this is Doc Coyle from the band God Forbid. Alright, this is Jason from uh, Kings of Modesty. What's happening? This is Jeremy Goldberg from Age of Evil. Hey, what's up? This is Joey Z from Life of Agony. Hey, what's up? This is Mercedes from Kitty. I'm Rasmus Gruberg from New Keepers of the Water Towers. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owen. Hey, this is Steven from I Wrestled a Bear Once. Hey, this is Tara. And this is Ivy. And we're half of Kitty. Hey, this is Wolf from the Chariot. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hi, this is Robert Flashman. Hey, everybody. This is Bobby Rock. Hey, this is Zach from Nonpoint. Hey, this is Frank from New Revolution. And you're listening to Mars Attacks. Booyah. Hey, this is Robbie Crane from Rat, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Go get them. Hey, what's up? This is Joe from Misery, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is John from Misery, and you're listening to Victor on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Dale Lorenzo from Hades, nonfiction, The Cursed, and my horrible solo music. You're listening to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Hi, I'm one of you on the new uh, Dan Lorenzo CD, cut from a different cloth. Hey, L-O-R-E-N-Z-O. Thank you. <laughs> okay. No. Um, okay, uh, my brother's here. He just wants to check on a CD if you can hold on a second. Okay. Hi, can I check on a CD with you? Sure. Um, do you have uh, Cut from a Different Cloth by Dan Lorenzo? My brother asked the same question, so unfortunately it's not coming up. Right. Um, alright, sorry, my brother has one more, hold on. Okay. Yeah, um, can you check on, uh, that Dan Lorenzo, maybe you got it in the last minute or so? Nope. Okay, he just, my brother just wants to check on one more thing. Welcome, one and all, to episode number 12 of Mars Attacks. I am your host, Victor, and that was the intro to, um, Cut From A Different Cloth, by Dan Lorenzo, and actually done by the great Jim Florentine and Don Jameson, and uh, that actually goes on for a few, about a minute longer, you know, don't want to get myself into any trouble with anyone for playing something in its entirety so that it can be ripped and used somewhere else. Behind us, you'll hear Keep It Together by Dan Lorenzo, and uh, on today's episode, we have... An interview with Dan Lorenzo. We also have an interview with John and Joe from the Long Island band Misery. And um, what we'll do is get into some music from Misery, go into their interview, and then come out with some more stuff by Misery, as usual. Uh, What you're hearing behind us is Save You from the independent release that Misery put out. Produced by Joey Z from Life of Agony, who, as you'll find out during the interview, produced the album that is about to come out on Super Metal Records. The idea is that the album will be out in or during the late summer, excuse me. And um, essentially, what this interview is is just uh, more or less to get you know you guys familiar with Misery, and then once the album comes out, we'll do a follow-up interview. And uh, we'll delve into things a little deeper, bring you some more insight into the band and into the album, and 
And uh, that's pretty much it. We'll let this track play out. Again, it is Save You by Misery. And then we'll get right into the interview with Joe and John. Because uh, we felt that Long Island needed uh, some heavy, heavy music besides uh, VOD. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we basically, you know, it gets uh, at the beginning it was something for us, you know, cool to do. We started out real young, just jamming, having some fun with it, and now it, you know, turned into something a little bigger. Like John said, Long Island needed some uh, some more monster uh, heavy heavy music coming out of it. Yeah, we first started, we used to play like Metallica covers and stuff like that, you know, and throw some originals in there, and then we just got heavy and heavy as we went. Okay. Cool. And how long have you guys been playing together? Uh, Joe and I have been playing together for about 17 years now. We're, we're brothers in the band. And okay. uh, the actual band that's actually together right now has been together about eight years. Okay. Cool. And um, is it difficult for you guys, do you feel, you know, starting out playing, you know, covers of different bands and then slowly working in your own material? Um, were certain crowds, you know, did they resist that? Did they welcome that? What did you guys have to go up against when presenting your music? Well, we welcomed it. They welcomed it, but uh, it was kind of fucked up when they were actually wanting to hear more Metallica than Misery, you know? So we started saying, you know, we got to start playing more of our own stuff, you know, because these, these kids are coming out, and they're chanting, like, play Metallica, play Korn, play this. You know? It's like, we're not a cover band. You know? We want to be an original band, you know? Right. So we quickly converted over. But yeah, we basically, you know, that that stuff was our roots, though. You know, that, that's that's how we learned how to play. We learned how to play some Metallica songs and Guns N' Roses, and like we said, then we started doing some corn tunes, and it's, you know, that's where we came from. So it's not nothing to be ashamed about. But then we just, you know, evolved into our own thing. Right, I got you. Okay, yeah. and um, on the debut album that you guys are about to put out, you guys worked with Joey Z from Life of Agony. Why did you decide to work with Joey? 
because Joey is very passionate and believes in anything that he works with, and he also knows how it's supposed to sound. There's a lot of engineers and producers out in New York that just want to record you to make some money. Uh, Joey actually has the heart behind it, and he knows exactly what we wanted and what we wanted to sound like, and it came out insane. Yeah, we actually, uh, Joey did uh, our independent album, our independent release in 2008, and uh, once we signed uh, our deal with, with Super Metal Records, we, we told them we wanted to bring Joey on board as our producer again for this record, and they were they were all into it too. So it just just worked out great having you know a legendary guitar player being our producer. It's it's helps helps us out a lot. Right, right, and that's funny that you guys bring that up because the last time that I interviewed Joey. Uh, one of the things you guys mentioned was really what he was stressing was that there wasn't enough passion in music nowadays, that there wasn't enough, you know, feeling in there. And that's something that I think you guys probably agree with, that you could always feel in the music that he's worked with, that there's always been, you know, passion or, or feeling that comes out through all the notes, through all the lyrics and everything else. And I'm sure, you know, as you're saying that, you know, sort of transfers over into what you guys are doing as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Having him, having him as our producer, I mean, we're completely a different style than Life of Agony, but, you know, he, put, he puts his touch onto our stuff and it just makes it, it's an insane sound. You know, we're like a, like a power metal band, and he throws, you know, throws his little style, stylistics things into, into our sounds, and it's just, it's a unique sound. A lot of times, bands, our style, it's the kind of like cookie cutter stuff. Mm-hmm. You can hear the... You can hear the Pro Tools just dripping off some of these bands. And no offense to anybody, but we play everything raw and we want to feel everything. Yeah, we, we try to, exactly. We, we want it to sound exactly how we sound live. And we want it to be raw sounding, not, not, not mechanical sounding, not, not, not like it's produced through a computer. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we recorded everything raw, just the way we want it to sound. I agree with you guys 100%. I think that's definitely something that, that is lacking. You hear too many albums that are just way too mechanized and they just... It just sounds like everything is just looped together, and as you're saying, you can tell exactly where they're cutting and pasting things, and it is missing. Exactly. You know. And a lot of albums say, again, no offense to anybody, everybody does their own thing, um, but a lot of these albums, it sounds like one long song, too. To yeah. us, we feel like we just did something where it's like, like an old-school Pantera album, where exactly. every song was unique and monstrous in its own, in its own way. That's what we feel like we, we got coming out right now. Yeah, that's what we want to relate more to, like, like Pantera style, you know, something that, that was raw and aggressive and that people could relate to the lyrics and understand it and have a great time also listening to it, you know? Gotcha. And and that that's another, you know, um, interesting point that you brought up regarding the producers. And it's something that, you know, I'm doing album reviews on the side uh, for a site called Metal Army America. And it was something that I was actually wondering how, you know, some of these bands that are being released are very cookie cutter, but as a producer, how do these people actually, you know, um, work on these albums or put their names behind the albums? Is it just a case where you're getting a paycheck to work on them or is, are you really putting in, you know, uh, the, the, the blood, sweat and tears per se that you want your producer to put in and, you know, sculpt the album and help you, you know, get, what you want out of the album and not just be, you know, sort of middle of the pack with the album. So, yeah, see what, what the thing, I think that what it really is, is a lot of, a lot of other bands, they want to sound, um, as best they can sound, make it, make it sound so monstrous. But if you leave some, certain parts in there that have feeling behind it, that, I mean, it might be a little off from each other, or a little this or that, but it also shows that the realistic of the music, you know, it's not, 
it's not just put together and just to make it sound better. You know, I want I want it to sound when these kids go to these shows, I want them to hear misery as misery is. You right. know what I'm saying? I don't want them to come out and say, Oh, that sounds totally different than the album. You know, how come they sound so great on the album? Right. And uh, and these other producers I think uh a lot of people they do just, just follow the trend and follow you know, what's what's going on out there right now. I think, you know, maybe some people are scared to snap outside the boundaries. So, uh, you know, we're hoping that's what we what we put together here. Yeah, I don't know how it works for everybody else, but, like, we, we went through a long process with Joey. I mean, we, we sat, you know, in our studio with Joey for a month straight, like four or five nights a week, and just worked on these songs, you know, forward, backwards, upside down, changing riffs, switching parts. And, I mean, like I said, everything he does is 100%. You know, he's, he's got his heart in it, his passion, and he wants it to sound great and we it, we're so happy with the product and we're so happy working with joey that i think we'll work with him on, on all our albums if we have a chance to cool very cool and uh what do you feel uh you took away from this album as opposed to the um independent album that joey produced for you previously was there something different that you wanted to go in and do with him this time around was there something that you wanted to repeat that you guys felt was successful on the independent album, what sort of goals did you guys set for yourselves before going in? Okay, originally um, when he produced the independent album, it wasn't like the, the massive pre-production we did on this album. So we had a lot more time to work on this album. Our independent album, we, we took a lot of our old material and like pieced it together. And now we're so, so much more mature as a band over the past two years of just working with Joey constantly and like playing bigger shows and getting out there in the scene that... We went into this knowing that we wanted to put out something that's going to blow away the first thing we, we'd done. And uh, Joey knew that, and he also, like I said, he worked a lot harder with us on this one because we, we asked him to put more time and effort into it, and he said we definitely have to do it. Being at the labels behind this is going to be released worldwide. He said we really got to put a lot of work into this, and that's what we did. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, money changes a lot of things. We actually had a budget to work with this time, and you know, it gave us a lot, uh, you know, a couple extra months, even before we even went to re- – recording process just to like john said earlier just do pre-production that that was to me the biggest thing was doing doing the pre-production and working on the songs before we actually went to record them okay and if i'm not mistaken uh you guys worked in systems two studios to put the album together yeah yeah that's where we recorded uh yeah the new album by the way is uh, titled evil is crowned and uh yeah it was recorded at systems two in brooklyn just right where joey did river runs red and Ugly, I believe, is recorded there, and a bunch of Typo Negative albums. Were yeah, recorded Bloody Kiss is recorded there. So it was pretty cool for us to go there because obviously we're influenced by those those two bands. So it's pretty much, I mean, the staple um, studio in the area. Obviously, some of the more uh, uh, you know pioneering albums by bands that have come out of the area have been recorded right there. Yeah, yes. definitely, definitely. And uh, it was a phenomenal studio. We had a great time there. I mean, everybody that was there welcomed us. It felt like we were home over there. That, that, that's, what, that's what makes the recording so much better, too, when you're so much relaxed and you feel like you're at home and you're not worrying about, you know, time and money. And, you know, it's such a different feeling, you know, than, than just going to a studio when you're a kid and saying, oh, we're paying $50 an hour or $100 an hour. We've got to get this done, you know, because everybody's running out of money with their paychecks. Right. <laughs> it's a totally different story, you know. And we've all been down that road. Uh, I got you. Yeah, it was funny when you guys just mentioned that you guys had a budget to work with. Um, it's a label's budget as opposed to your own budget, what's coming out of your pocket. So. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And they, they treat us very well, Super Metal Records. They've, they've been doing everything that we, that we need possible, they've been doing for us. And 
We appreciate that. Yeah, we're, we're their uh, we're their flagship flagship. That's easy, easy for me to say. Flagship band. Um, they started their label about a year ago, and they're giving us all all their attention. So it's uh, it's it's great. It's a great feeling. Oh, that's that's awesome. And and hopefully, uh, you know, just touching back on some of the uh, things that we've mentioned so far. Hopefully, uh, they'll help you guys become that other uh, other reference point outside of. VOD in Long Island and also help this album become, you know, reach up close to uh, what, you know, River Runs Red and Bloody Kisses and all that means to uh, Systems 2. Uh, we, yeah. we hope so. We hope so. And, yeah, they have a, they have worldwide distribution in place for us. So once it's ready to come out, it's going to be available everywhere. So we hope, uh, hope we get the support we're looking for, you know, from the fans out there. We hope they dig it. And, uh, like you said, hopefully it'll be on uh, the scale like, Life Agony type of negative, that would be, that'd be huge for us. Yeah, we know they're going to dig it. They're going to love it. <laughs> cool. Very cool. And uh, as far as the songwriting is um, is concerned, who usually uh, sits down and composes everything? How long did it take you guys to put all the songs that are featured on this album together? Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, we actually, all five of us in the band are all writers. I mean, Scott, our drummer, he'll come up with riffs, um, I'm the bass player. I'll come up with drum beats for him. Uh, we all, we all, yeah, we all come up with, we all come up with different ideas. We all, we all write the riffs. Uh, we all write the melodies. Um, John does all the vocals, pretty much. But uh, yeah, we all, we all have part, part in the writing. And uh, this album, I would say, took a couple of songs or have been, been kicking around for a while. But for the most part, we wrote all these songs within six months before we hit the studio. When do you guys project the album to come out? Uh, it's, uh, from what I heard, it was going to be late summer. Yeah, yeah. It's, look, it's looking like the end of August right now. If everything go, goes uh, as planned, you know how those things go sometimes, though. But yeah, right now it's looking like the end of August. If it was up to us, we put it out tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are just chomping at the bit to get it out yeah. there and and start going out there and playing shows behind it. I take it. Yeah, we have we have a lot of touring coming up in the future. Yeah, we uh, we're gonna be uh, going on the road supporting Devil Driver in, uh, this summer. Oh, okay. Cool. So we're, we're we're very very psyched about that. Okay, and um, where can people go to find out information regarding when the album comes out, regarding the band and everything else? Is there a specific website? Is there a MySpace page? Yeah, we got uh we got a MySpace page. Um it's myspace.com slash misery ny. Um we have a Facebook page which is the same thing, misery ny. And um on both of those pages you have links to uh to iTunes and C D baby where people can get our older stuff, the the independent stuff is available up there. And uh basically that's our two main outlets right now, Facebook and MySpace. And uh, our label is constructing a website for us right now. And they're actually there's supermental records com and they also have Super Metal Records on MySpace also to find the label. Okay, and uh, being that I'm originally from the area as well, I'm originally from New Jersey actually. Um, nice. What sports teams are you guys into from the area? We're actually uh, it, it's we're kind of mixed in a band. Uh, my brother Joe and I are, and my guitarist uh, Debo is actually Mets fans. Okay. And uh, and Corey and Scott are Yankee fans. And then football, it's kind of weird because there's three of us that are cowboy fans, and then the other two are Jet fans. <laughs> so we, we we actually we have we have a good time. We war with each other over everything, you know. But it's actually good because it, nobody's ever outnumbered, yeah. You know? Gotcha. Okay, 
that's interesting. How'd you guys become uh, Cowboys fans? Just because uh, they were winning at the time you guys were growing up? No, or? actually, they, were, they really sucked bad when I was younger, when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, I had an uncle that was really into them, and he brainwashed us pretty much when we were younger. Gotcha. And uh, we pretty went, pretty much went with it. Yeah, you know, I was we've been Cowboy fans since Danny White was on the team and Randy White, so it's pretty old. You know, a long time ago. Yeah, uh, I remember those years. So. The one in fifteen years. Which jersey team are you into? Uh, well, you know, honestly, I'm I'm an oddball with everything, whether it's uh, music, sports, or whatnot. I mean. Um, the the sport that I followed the most is always hockey. I'm a diehard Rangers fan. Uh, we got some of them too. And uh, outside of that, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm a Yankees fan. With uh, with football though, is sort of odd because I was lucky enough that uh, my old man would always get hooked up with both Jets and Giants tickets. So I really followed both teams. I really didn't pull for one over the other. So. Um, you know, uh, my only thing there is I hope uh, before I die that I get to see the Jets actually play in a Super Bowl and possibly win yeah. one. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe in a couple of years when the Super Bowl actually finally comes to New York, maybe they'll be there. Yeah, that that was cool, uh, you know, that they're actually going to do that. You know, I think it's sort of dumb that they were apprehensive of thinking that, oh, you know, people aren't going to, uh, you know, go to the game or that the uh, players aren't going to enjoy it. I mean... Come it's on. football, but it's cold, it's cold weather all the time. It's always cold. Cold, rainy, snowy, it doesn't matter what it is. Play the game. They come out. Yeah, and and I mean, a lot of these games, you know, the the colder it is, you know, the rainier it gets, the more it snows, you know, those are some of the best games. So. Hey, that's the better games. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So so, so we'll see. We'll, we'll see what we have uh, out there in the Meadowlands in a few years. Yeah. Yep, we'll see what happens. Good luck to the Jets. <laughs> They needed. Hey, they got close last year. Yeah, they they they, they did. They they did. You know, I was uh, pulling for them, but you know, we'll see. That, that's the thing with football, though. You have a few injuries here and there, and um, you know, you think that the team is maybe going to go all the way or whatever, but one key injury and you're done. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's what we were kind of going through because we actually were booked in the studio uh, Super Bowl Sunday, and we were saying. Imagine the Cowboys and the Jets getting the Super Bowl. Uh, it'd be it'd be the first year ever that that like you said, these guys could see the Jets in the Super Bowl, and we're Cowboy fans, and we're gonna be in the studio recording. Because <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't out. work out. So <laughs> maybe next year. Being Cowboys fans, what do you guys think of free reign? <laughs> free reign. Free reign meaning what? Oh, you guys don't know what free reign is. Okay. Free, okay. Huh. Free Rain is the band that uh, Corey Proctor and uh, a few other guys from the Cowboys put together. Oh, uh, well, I know you told me. I, I heard yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, I have not. I have not. I don't. I don't think I've heard them yet. But okay, I'll have to check them out now. You mentioned. You, mentioned you, them you're taking the political route out of the question. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> well, I'll I'll let you know. I interviewed Corey Proctor. And I uh, semi-pissed him off, I think, when I was uh, talking to him. Because, well, you know, they put out an EP, and, you know, the stuff sounds all right. If if the sound that's there is what they were going for, you know, I have no problem with it. But the the thing is this. I was talking to him, and I said, you know, there are times where I could hear in, uh, I think the singer's name is uh, uh, Mark Colombo or something like that. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. I said, you know, there are times where his voice does sound like Phil Anselmo, 
But there are times when they get into different courses and things where he sounds more like Scott Stapp from Creed. Uh, and so directions there. Yeah, and and I brought that up and and I said even there's one intro. There's one intro that's almost like a blatant rip off of uh POD song Satellite. And and I you know, I brought it up. I said, you know, you could hear the one extreme but you could hear all these other things as well and right away he starts going no 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 no. we don't like any of that music you know we sound like metallica megadeth iron maiden you know and uh and it was funny because you know like i said if if you're trying to go after that crowd or whatever you know i understand that's a stance you want to take and you don't want to you know uh sort of back up you know the other stuff that i said but at the same time you know the proof is in the pudding, more or less. If you listen to the songs, you know, it sounds like very commercial hard rock. You know, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you're going for, but you know, it's just sort of odd if, you know, you're trying to uh, sort of push the Metallica and Megadeth bandwagon if it's not yeah, right. there. I don't know. It's just me. No. Well, I'm going to check it out. The next time we talk, I'll let you know what yeah, I'm Yeah, maybe, maybe Joey Z should produce the next album. It sounds sound a little different. Well, that, that, that's the thing. I mean, I... Like I said, when I spoke to Joey and he started bringing up the the thing regarding passion and everything else, this was one of the bands that I thought of where, you know, I think that, you know, possibly with some different direction, you know, they may sound a little bit more towards the sound that they're looking for. You know, like we're saying, you know, Joey would probably add that passion to them and, you know, get different yeah. things out of them. But yeah. Again, as you guys were alluding to the fact, you know, if you work with certain producers, obviously you're probably going to go with that, you know, uh, what's what's happening today on the radio type sound. So, right. you know what it is too. You got to really trust your producer, but you also got to understand that he's there. You you also can have your own opinion on yeah, that. Yeah, we're still the band. We're still the writers and then the performers. So right. you, have to, you have to incorporate what we do and what the producer's telling you. Yeah, there was a lot of we did a lot of compromising on certain parts, and Joey's like, "Wow, that's a great idea." And you know, and then there was certain parts that he came up with that that was amazing. You know, it's like, you know, and he left the, the you know door wide open for us to say, "Any ideas you guys have, don't just take this idea because I'm saying that this sounds good." You know, mm-hmm. and it was great. You know, I mean, like we had such a, a great time with him, and uh, we love working with him. It was fun, really fun. Yeah, so so it's more or less a give and take, and not an issue where you know it's exactly. a producer that's uh, you know quote unquote putting his you know nuts on the table and saying you know I am who I am. You got to listen to me, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So so that's what we'll do. We'll uh, when we talk right before the album comes out, we'll we'll see if you guys checked out Free Rain and see what you guys think and. Uh, if again, similar to what you're saying regarding Joey, if you think that my opinion, you know, is more along the lines of, um, you know, what you guys think, or if I'm just out of my mind and, <laughs> you okay, know, cool. yeah, we'll, get to about yeah, we'll definitely let you know, I'll check it out tonight. We'll check them out. Hey, what's up? This is Joe from misery and you're listening to Mars attacks. Hey, this is Joe from misery and you're listening to Victor on Mars attacks.
there you go. A little more misery that's take the power back. Both that and save you came off of 15 years of aggression. Their independent release that was also produced by Joey Z from Life of Agony. You can find that up on iTunes. You can also find that on CD Baby and a plethora of other places. Just go to their MySpace and uh, you'll find all the various links. I uh, also want to mention that uh, that I had no intention whatsoever in uh, throwing Free Rain under the bus, although it, it seems like, um, like I sort of did that and I deliberated whether to cut that out or not, but I thought that it was important when Joe and John started commenting about Joey Z's production work towards the end and maybe comparing that to, um, you know, some of the more... I don't know if generic is the right word or, or radio-friendly type stuff that, that's out there. Um, so I, I kept it in strictly because of that, because they did go into a greater length talking about Joey Z's production work and what he added to their album. So no disrespect towards Corey Neal or anyone else uh, within Free Reign. If you want, you could always listen to the interview that I did do with him to see his exact reaction and hear how... You know, I did post that very question to him, or pose that very question to him, excuse me. Uh, you can find the post, actually, or the interview uh, up on MarsAttacksRadio.com. It's one of the um, the first podcast episodes in any event. Um, you'll find it if, if you click on the audio section of the website. What we're going to do now is get into a little music by The Greatest Fear, which is another band that Joey Z produced. Uh, This is a band that drove cross-country, drove from Las Vegas, had all their gear stolen the night before coming out to New York and um, having their music produced by Joey Z, or meeting up with Joey to have their music produced by him. If you want to hear all about that as well, you can check out the two interviews that I have with Joey Z up on the site as well. Um, His interview, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's Podcast 9 and Podcast 2, but don't hold me to that. Go to the website and just look at the audio section. You'll, You'll find it there. In any event, what we're hearing behind us is A Flower Without Sun. By the greatest fear, all the guitar work on this track is done by Joey Z as well. What we'll do after that is transition into the Dan Lorenzo part of the show.
line there. Compassion out, disenchantment in. That's The Greatest Fear. You can find that up on iTunes if you search for The Greatest Fear or A Flower Without Sun. Again, another band that was produced by Joey Z. Uh, just wanted to include this just to further, you know, what he's done uh, so far with his production work. Just to give you sort of a different taste there from Misery. Just to show, you know, all facets that, that are Joey. And, um, you know, I have to honestly say that both Joey and Dan, anytime that I've asked them to come on the show or add any commentary, have done so. So I have no problem whatsoever. Uh you know, promoting any of the stuff that they're involved with. So, uh, and, uh, you know, just goes to show you're good to people. They're, they're good back to you. So, um, in any event, um, this specific, uh, episode was supposed to come out uh, about a week ago. Uh, unfortunately with all these crazy things going on right now in my personal life, uh, wrapping up a, uh, six month ordeal with an inheritance and, Potentially buying a house shortly, um, you know, has sort of uh, uh, led me to put some of these things on the back burner, unfortunately. So I do have to apologize to everyone in uh, Misery and Dan Lorenzo and Joey Z who helped hook things up with the uh, guys in Misery. In any event, what we're hearing behind us currently is in the know. By nonfiction. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm over here in Spain, as I sort of alluded to before, and uh, I'm six hours ahead of everyone on the West Coast. So when I do these interviews, they're usually pretty late at night. Um, both of these interviews were conducted after 1 a.m. my time. Uh, you could definitely tell during the Dan Lorenzo interview where, fortunately, I lose. Uh, I lose track of things, mixing up some of the band names and whatnot, so I do have to apologize beforehand to you, the listener, and to Dan. Um, I do think uh, things came out all right. If if you're a fan of Dan Lorenzo and his music and whatnot, you're really going to enjoy what he has to say. And Dan is funny, as always, uh, has a a definite uh, uh, New Jersey humor to him, very typical of the area. I'm from the area as well, if you're keeping track, so uh, it was very, very cool to talk to him, and uh, although I may seem uh, sort of dry at times, or not rolling with some of the um, jokes or whatever, I do apologize, it was very, very late that night, and uh, I hope, uh, I hope you guys enjoy the interview nonetheless. Anyway, let me uh, cut out my nonsense here for a little and leave you guys with some nonfiction and in the know.
when I spoke to Blitz a few months back, he described you as being how Tony Iommi should sound. Uh, in in other words, your playing sounds like Tony Iommi should sound nowadays. Do you <laughs> feel that's a fair assessment? Oh, that's a very nice compliment from Mr. Ellsworth. I'll have to say something very nice about him sometime in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, it's funny. I mean, we all grow up on these people, and we want them to sound exactly like they sounded for the first couple albums, and they kind of uh, deviate from that plan. But I think Tony has actually got a lot, lot of great riffs in his you know, later years, too. Right. So uh, I take that as a super high compliment. Um, and I really kind of don't feel like I was influenced so much by Tony Iommi because I got into Black Sabbath late in life. As a matter of fact, I got the first Black Sabbath album on vinyl when I was young, used, and I bought it because of the cover, and I listened to it, and I didn't really like it. Now I love the album. I can't believe when I first got turned on to it, you know, I was just getting into Kiss and Aerosmith, and the first Black Sabbath album didn't hit me at the time because I wasn't crazy about the vocals. Right. And then I got into some Sabbath stuff, and then when I heard Heaven and Hell with Dio... Right. And I really got into Black Sabbath, and I kind of fell in love with the old stuff, too. Right. But anyway, I do think Tony Iommi still plays some great riffs, even on his last release. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That Heaven and Hell album does have a lot of, you know, pretty good riffs on there. And I know a lot of people uh, uh, criticized some of the songs because they said that he was sort of, like, maybe dipping back into the same well over again, but I think a lot of the stuff that they did, maybe outside of one or two songs, the rest of the album is, is pretty good. It's pretty solid, at least in my opinion. Yeah, you know what? And i got to admit, now that I think about it, I, I only heard a little bit of it, because it's just ho so hard for me to get excited by new music nowadays. It really is. Right. It is, it is difficult. I, I have the problem where so much is sent to me that I actually have to, uh, you know... Um, put time aside to actually catch up on a lot of this stuff. Sure. I mean, up until recently, you know, I, I write, uh, I sell advertising for Stepping Out Magazine, and I've been there for 17 years. And up until the last year or two, you used to get bombarded with from CDs from publicists. And you, like you said, you couldn't catch up on it. So what you do is you let everything sit on your desk until you read a couple of good reviews, you hear a, cu a couple of good right. things that, you know, you know, make it sound like you might want to check it out. But... You know, you're always, you're always right. hoping that something you get in the mail is great and is the next record you fall in love with, right? Right, absolutely. And that's what I was actually going to mention uh, when I almost cut you off there is that I, I read Mark Striegel online really promoting the, um, really pushing the new Exodus album. And I said, wow, I've had that for about a month and I haven't listened to it. And exactly what you just said, now I'm actually going to go and listen to it this weekend to see what it's all about, cool. you know? So... Outside of this compliment that uh, that Blitz gave you, what would you feel is the biggest compliment someone has given you so far in your career? Uh, just that record labels would continuously put out my bad music. <laughs> Keep giving me money to put out <laughs> records that nobody buys and nobody knows about. Um, you know, this is this guy from this metal uh, magazine uh, turned into actually just a website, uh, uh, tmetal.com, T is in Thomas. And he always says I'm his favorite guitar player of all time, which is a really high compliment because he's into so much music, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, just I think actually the highest compliment I've got has come from other musicians. There's been uh, some musicians who I respect who are like, fuck, dude, like, you know, why weren't you more well-known or whatever? Or, you know, you should have been famous. You should have been a millionaire. Or if I was in your band then, if I was singing for you, you'd be a millionaire, stuff like that. So I think... Uh, 
you know, there's musicians who, uh, you know, have given me compliments over the years. I mean, I, I consider myself a songwriter first and foremost and a riff writer. And uh, I haven't really written anything new that I really love. Maybe a couple things since the Curse CD because the music, the music business just fucking beats you down. So I feel like if I were to release something right now, I'd be doing what you said about Tony. I only mining my old riffs. I'm just not into doing that. So I'm taking a little hiatus until I feel like re-energized and uh, refreshed to come back, you know? Gotcha. Okay. In, in your opinion, what do you think your greatest achievement has been outside of having people, you know, continuously put your music out? Is there one thing that you stand behind and say, wow, this is my proudest moment? Well, I once got this uh, quote from Timmy Gillis from Big Blue Meanie, who's produced a lot of my records. He says, every musician worth, worth his salt is uh, pretty much, you're almost always most proud of your last re release. So my last re-release was the Curse CD Room Full of Sinners on Locomotive Records with Blitz, and I can still listen to that record and love it. Uh, that being said, it's almost not a fair analogy because every musician loves their last record best, but going backwards, um, the nonfiction CD in the know is probably my pinnacle. Uh, we're just a machine at that point. It was our second record. I still can listen to those songs. I think the, the, the songs hold up, if not the recording style. Uh, we played our first show in over, I think, eight years or ten years back in last November, and the kids, there, there are people there. Club is packed. In fact, as a matter of fact, Blitz was there. And, uh, you know, everybody was singing the lyrics. And these, these songs are now 17, 18 years old. And that was really flattering. But the same thing happens. Uh, kids don't really necessarily sing along with the Hades songs because they're too fast. But we did a Hades reunion back in April and the same thing. So just the fact that people will still come to shows and you can see people up front, you know, how they're just so passionate about it and they're singing the lyrics and the look in their eyes when you're doing a reunion show, they still care. I mean, that, that's just enormous compliment right there. That actually has to be, you know, very cool just to know that your music has touched so many people and and stood the test of time. You know, that uh, nonfiction album, as you said, came out in, in 93. I was in college and remember receiving it and playing the hell out of In the Know, so the the song In the Know. Oh, so. just the song, huh? Nothing else. Great going. No wonder we never broke. <laughs> yeah, that was a great record. That was actually came out in September of 92, and then Overkill took us on tour with them in, uh, in 93, uh, in March and April in America and May and June in uh, Europe and uh, Sabotage was on that bill as well in Europe and it was a really good time and then after that things started going backwards and that's when I got a job selling advertising for Stepping Out Magazine. What do you feel would be the most bittersweet moment that you felt in music? Bittersweet? Well, I, I, I guess um, I, it was not, it's not sweet, but just, I remember when we came home from Europe in 93, I just assumed that, okay, now nonfiction, we're, we're doing a little something in America. Things started to seem like they were moving. We go, we went to Europe and it might've been the wrong bill for us being on the same bill with overkill and sabotage, but we were, you know, we were playing in front of a thousand people a night for 20 shows, which is awesome. And then we came home and I w had every, uh, thought that we would get bigger and bigger because things were progressing along at that rate. Everything was getting bigger every couple of months and things started going backwards. And that was just like, well, wait a minute. What's, we just came back from Europe. You people should be even more excited about us. But the, the, the whole new metal thing was just starting to come in sort of get kind of bigger and bigger. And, uh, I guess that would be the closest bittersweet experience we had. We we're so proud of ourselves coming home from Europe, kicking ass in Europe and then coming home and it, it just was going backwards, you know? The last time that we spoke, when we were we talked about Pete Steele for a bit, you made a Tom Coughlin reference. Um, 
How big of a Giants fan are you? Well, I'm really a basketball fan, first and foremost. I, just, I grew up a baseball fan. I was, my intention was to be a shortstop for the Mets, and I actually made the high school team in ninth grade. Five days in, I quit to, because I was missing out on my guitar playing. So, And actually, an hour and a half ago, I was running full-court basketball with kids half my age. I started playing basketball 13 years ago. I played football growing up, but not organized football because I'm not a big organized guy, whether it's organized sports or organized religion. Like I like, you know, I like religion. I like sports. They're beautiful. But when you organize them, they become dirty and, and it's just, they become wrong in my opinion. But I do love uh, the Giants and the Jets. Uh, my wife has become a big Giants fan, so I am a pretty serious football fan. I watch pretty much well, I do. I watch every Giants and every Jets game. But uh, it's not like I live and die. I mean, I should say that now, now that football season is over, I'm, I'm kind of forgetting that I was uh, really upset when the Jets lost in the playoffs and the Giants had a, you know, a, a, a poor season overall. But, yeah, I'm into it. I'm into the big three sports, uh, you know, basketball, football, and baseball. Okay. What um, basketball team do you root for? I root for the Knicks, which hasn't been fun the last few years. Right now I'm watching the playoffs. I'm enjoying the Celtics. I like four players on the Celtics a real lot. Um, but I'm, I'm a Knicks fan and Nets fan, and then pretty much, you know, they, don't, they haven't made the playoffs in a while, so I'll watch the other teams as well. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, now getting more towards uh, uh, your groups themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, back when you put Hades together, did you envision that you'd still be doing music or music-related things more than 20 years later? Absolutely not. I mean, even if you can say that, I don't think anybody would take it seriously or even, you know, you wouldn't take yourself seriously because I started the band, you know, when I was literally, the moment I picked up a guitar, I was 15 years old. It was 1978. I'm now 47. My father died at 47. So I never, you know, when I was 15, I'm sure I pictured my father as a very old man, even when he was 46, right before he died, 47. Um, in my wildest dreams, I never would think that I'd be playing the Bang Your Head Festival in Germany in July with Twisted Sister, who I opened up for with Hades in the first time with the original Hades lineup in 1982. So here we are 28 years later, and I'm opening right. up for Twisted Sister again. It's, it's mind-blowing, actually. Cool. You mentioned that reunion show that you did. Uh, how difficult was it to put that together again? Uh, it was very tough because... Um, the bass player, Jimmy Shulman, who we re- thought we were going to use, lived in California. The lead guitar player, Scott, lived in Dallas. They flew up in January, and uh, Jimmy didn't really know the songs, even though he was the one who was begging me to do a Hades reunion. When we first got offered the reunion, they were offering us in Germany airfare, hotels, and transportation and meals, no money. And, and Jimmy and Alan were like, do it, do it. I'm like, I'm not, I can't fly to Germany for free. So they kept uh, up in the offer, and I kept saying no, and every time telling me, do it, do it, and I finally got some good money from them. But, uh, you know, Jimmy came in in January, and, you know, I was telling him, you better know the fucking songs, and he just didn't know the songs. Then he came back in April, he promised us he'd learn the songs, he didn't learn the songs, he came to one rehearsal, and uh, we haven't spoken with him since, we don't know what the hell happened to him, his mom told him that he was in the hospital, then he wasn't in the hospital, we have no idea what happened to Jimmy. But uh, he didn't learn the songs, we know that much, and we had to uh, have the nonfiction bass player, Kevin Bolenbach, who's currently in a band called Inferno Phonic. He filled in, and thank God he's a better musician than I am. He learned all the Haiti songs in like five days, and the show went off without a hitch. Wow, cool. And, um, and you're saying that you're going to be playing the Bang Your Head Festival with him. Right. And you guys were supposed to play Keep It True, and that didn't go down because of the volcano or because of the yeah, bass player? Well, well, first off, uh, the bass player duffed out on us, you know. 
he disappeared on us, and uh, we couldn't switch the ticket to Kevin's name. We considered flying over there, the four of us playing without a bass player, and then our flight on Air India was canceled. Um, it just, you know, forces were working against us. Alan ended up flying over on a separate flight. They had to pay like $2,000 for his, like, just to get him, sneak him, not sneak him on a plane, but get him on a plane, and he performed with Watchtower. Right. And that's one of his last performances with Watchtower, right? They just that announced is his, that. Yeah, he's, he's not in the band anymore. Yeah, they're making him crazy, I think. I'm so glad he's not doing the Watchtower thing, honestly, because to me, I mean, and they're nice guys, and they, if they heard me say this, I, you know, I would say it to their face. Their music is, is to me, it's like trigonometry. Like, it's just not music. I mean, maybe it has to be done. Maybe somebody has to do it. But I'm all about, like, you know, bluesy fucking heavy riffs that stick in your head. And I listen to their songs. Alan would play me this. I'm like, dude, I'm like, I feel like I'm back in, you know, in algebra or geometry in the ninth grade. And I quit because it wasn't fun. I don't get it. I don't care about it. I think it has no relevance to music. But I respect them as musicians. They're nice guys. I got to know the drummer. Uh, Rick and guitar player Ron, they actually stayed at my apartment. I booked a tour for them in 89, a little mini tour. Uh, I never got to know Doug, but I know they're great musicians, but it's not, I don't even understand it. Don't, it's way over my head. I, I could care less about musicianship, you know? Right. Yeah. Sometimes, so, sometimes you just need some meat and potatoes and just some good old fashioned riffs and that's it instead of just overthinking things. Yeah, all my favorite musicians are probably considered mediocre musicians or, you know, slightly above average. Or I'm not into any, any virtuosos. I've never heard. Actually, I shouldn't say that. You know, I respect uh, Zach Wilde and Gary Holt. I think they're, like, phenomenal musicians. Dimebag was phenomenal. And they also can play with feeling, which is really rare, you know, in my opinion. Uh, absolutely. He's obviously a rarity and, and a gem to to be able to do just that. But I think... A lot of it has to do with uh, probably digging a lot of the same bands that that you were into. You know, he was a very big Kiss fan, very big H yep. or Aerosmith fan, ZZ Top, yeah. things like that. Where, you know, you didn't have to play seventy million notes to uh, yeah. to get a song across. So yeah, all my favorite riffs in the, of all time, they're all pretty easy to play. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm I'm no uh, I, I'm a hack on the guitar and and yeah, I'm exactly so am I. Nice to meet you, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> from there how did bang your head come together did the promoters come after you guys or was it something that after keep it true didn't come together something that you guys really wanted to go out and uh you know see your german fans yeah kind of a combination of those things we definitely felt like we owed it to the european fans because when we couldn't make it to keep it true that we got so many emails from italian people and greek people saying they were so bummed they paid a month's salary to book hotels and airfare and blah, you know, we felt terrible. Um, Alan uh, bumped into some of these people when he was at Keep It True. And, uh, you know, it's funny because whenever Hades are together, not a lot of tour offers come in. Uh, we played the, uh, whoa, you hear that thunder, man? Yeah. Nice bolt of thunder right here. <laughs> uh, the Vakken Festival in 2000 when we were with Metal Blade, and that was awesome. And then we put out Damnation, which we thought was our best record, and we couldn't get anything going on. So Hades always seems to get our best offers when we're not together anymore. Huh, no, no kidding. And that's funny because um, there was an article not too long ago with J.J. French talking about how Twisted Sister would no longer tour, but right. yet they're able to play, you know, similar to you guys, you know, a few festivals here and there. 
And I mean, I don't know the money side of things, how much you guys make out of this, but I'm sure it's more economical than actually going out, you know, getting a bus, getting, you know, amps, renting uh, lighting or whatever it is, you know, to go out and tour just to play a few, you know, festivals a year. Yeah, well, Twisted Sisters certainly can make some money, big money playing fest, uh, festivals. You know, we don't make big money, but we kind of look at it like it's a weekend away with the guys, and we're going to increase the, our, our name again, get our name back out at, at there. We've got some re-releases going on, the first three Hades CDs. Uh, we, we're going to get a big feature in Rock Hard magazine for the uh, uh, resisting success, making the top 300 of all, of all time. So it's kind of cool. Like, I mean, you do it when it, if it's fun. If it becomes a hassle, you don't do it, or you got to get paid a lot of money to do it. You know? Right. Absolutely. And that bang your head is July seventh, right? Seventeenth, I believe. Seventeenth. Okay, I could have swore yeah. I saw the seventh. Um, is that the only festival that you guys are going to be playing this summer, or are you guys contemplating doing anything else? No, this is about it because uh, Scott LePage lives in Dallas, and we're flying out there with actually with no rehearsals with Scott. So. We're winging it pretty much in front of 20,000 people. So it's real tough with Scott being in Dallas. And, uh, you know, we, we could do it in the future. We've actually been speaking with Ed Furman. If there's something in the future, we'd probably do it with him. But uh, honestly, I played basketball all summer, man. I got, and i got to not play basketball now for a month before the show because i got to protect my fingers. So I'm actually more into playing music in the winter when I don't play hoops outside every day, you know? Right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, moving on to Hades. Um, was it difficult for you to put Hades together initially, or was it just a natural transition where you wanted to keep putting music out, and that was sort of the direction that you were going in? Well, if you, originally when I started Hades, I started with my best friend, Paul Smith, who's actually in the Army, and uh, he's moving to uh, near Stuttgart, Germany, I believe, in uh, November. And, you know, it's a high school thing, and then you want to take it to the next level, and you start playing clubs. And like I said, we opened up for Twisted Sister in 1982. That was with myself and Tom Coons and the original members of Hades. And then the band broke up completely at one point uh, around 1984. All I had left was the drummer Tom, and I had to uh, sc scout out and find some new people. And I got, that's when I got Scott LePage and Alan Tecchio and Jimmy Shulman. And then... Uh, Right as we were putting out Resisting Success, Scott LePage decided he didn't want to go on tour. He was, he was 19 years old, and he thought he should take life more seriously. So Hades was never easy, honestly, Victor. Nonfiction was pretty smooth and fun. Hades was always filled with tension and band lineup changes and people messing things up. And it was, it was, Hades was never easy for some reason. Yeah, and, and I have to apologize. I have all the different band names here, and I meant to say nonfiction instead oh, of Oh, okay, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so uh, essentially you started nonfiction out of the frustration that you had from Hades, and you just wanted to continue things going down that path in a sort of easier route? Yeah, what I wanted to do with nonfiction was exactly what I wanted to do in Hades. Like, if you listen to the first Hades album, there's a song called Night Stalker, where I'm tuned down and the bass player's tuned down, and we're playing slow and heavy. And I was really into doing that. But at the time, uh, Jimmy Shulman and Ed Furman did not want to tune their guitars down from E., and I really, really wanted us to tune down, um, and they wouldn't budge. I mean, we did a couple songs in the second album where we tuned down a little bit. But um, it was just something like I said, okay, what am I? I'm a songwriter who can't really play great lead guitar, so I'm going to write some songs with big, fat riffs and no guitar solos. And at the time, it was kind of like, you know, rare for a metal-type band to do that. But it was exactly what I wanted to do, like make big, fat, simple songs with really heavy riffs. And I was, I was in love with nonfiction from day one, you know? Right, gotcha. 
And um, a lot of people have said this. Nonfiction was ahead of their time with a lot of what you guys are doing. You just mentioned that, not playing solos, just focusing in on the grooves, the heavy riffs and everything else, which, as you mentioned before, you know, you guys came back from Europe and a lot of bands were doing that, you know. Um, what band do you feel benefited the most from the groundwork that nonfiction put down? Well, you'd have to ask your buddy if he thinks the same thing, but uh, a lot of people tell me Life of Agony. Um, I do remember Joey coming up to me at Lemoore, where, you know, doing sound check and asking me a couple things, and, you know, he really, really liked nonfiction. And uh, it's funny because they obviously got so much bigger than we did. And when their first album came out, everybody's like, oh, dude, they're totally doing your thing. And I'm like, really? I don't hear that at all. And it's like their most popular record of all time. But uh, I don't know if he had any influence from nonfiction. I know he was certainly aware of the band, but um, you know, you could ask that's a question for Joey, I guess. But uh, I don't, I don't feel anybody ripped us off. I got this one chord <laughs> that I swear I invented it, and I remember when I showed it to Ron Jezombek from uh, Watchtower. He's like, "What is that chord?" And it's basically you play it almost as if it's a second inversion chord, which if you don't play guitar and know your theory, you wouldn't know what that means but you're already tuned down. The low E is already tuned down two steps beneath everything else. So it kind of makes um, a weird bottom note. And I started doing this chord uh, back in like, I guess, 89, 90. And I still hear it like this. I didn't hear it really used before then. So it was really like, I feel like there's one chord that I kind of popped. I shouldn't say I popularized it because nobody knows <laughs> I invented it, I think, you know? You, you got to go out there with Mustaine now and compare his spider chords to... Uh, nah, that that, that's all right. He, he can get, I, I'm too busy playing basketball, Victor. You know, I mean, I, I got <laughs> to play basketball five days a week, and I, I come home right now. I am so sore. I'm running around an hour and a half with kids. Like I said, they're 22, 23 years old, man. So I'll, I'll let Dave Mustaine get all the glory. He deserves it anyway. <laughs> there, there you go. With nonfiction, you said before that... Um, you had played back in November, right? You guys did a reunion yeah, show? right. Does that, you know, sort of drive you to do something else with the band again, or, or same deal, where you, just by doing the odd shows here and there, that sort of, you know, sort of fills the tank for a while until you feel the need to go out and play again? Well, we had a really, really fun time doing it, but we're under no illusion that we could take it to the next level or, or repeat the same thing. Like, if we played again, you know, tomorrow night, the crowd wouldn't be as big as it was that night because we had people flying in from all over, kids flying in from like uh, Florida and, you know, all over. Kids drove from Connecticut, Maryland, Virginia, um, you know, because it, it was a first time happening in 10 years. So now you have to think, okay, we, let's do it again. It'd be really fun, but now we play in front of half the amount of people, get half the amount of pay, have half the amount of enjoyment. It depends on what you're doing. Like if you're doing it just to have fun and you look at it like, hey, we'll be happy if, you know, 100 people show up. But, uh, you know, when that happens, when you're playing in front of 100 people when you're 47 years old, it's kind of a bummer. So, you know, I guess we could consider it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no. In fact, I really would love for nonfiction to do a European festival because I'm way, way prouder of nonfiction than, you know, the Germans wanted to play the first two Hades albums. And those, are the, you know, those songs are so old for me, they're not as exciting for me as my newer stuff. Right, I got you. So if any uh, promoters are out there listening to this interview... Uh, book nonfiction book next non year for the festivals. Hey, we can even have the cursed out there with us. How about that? How about that package? That that would be cool. That would be very cool. 
Have you ever talked to uh, Blitz about going out on the road with the curse? Um, when we first did it, Blitz was intent on making it a one-off. We play one live show, and I think we should have done more than that. We should have done at least a few shows. But no, because it's not really realistic, because uh, Blitz is not going to drive around in a van with the 11 guys squeezing into a van with a road crew or whatever and playing you know, for, in front of 35 people a night. It's just, it's just not practical. I mean, if we were younger, I, be- I love the room full of Sinner CD. I mean, I fucking love that album. I love it so much. I love what Blitz did to it. It was a great experience. But again, you know, if we did another record, could it be nearly as good? I just don't, I don't have 100% confidence in that happening. So it remains on the shelf until we, uh, we feel it needs to be taken off. Gotcha. Okay, cool. As far as your solo material is concerned, I guess for lack of a, a better term, I guess you just decided to do the solo material because you just wanted to do things on your own. You didn't want to hassle with a band or why exactly yeah. did you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, originally, um, I, I have a website called danlorenzo.net that I want to mention. I'm going to start a blog on as of next week. And the first thing I'm going to post is going to be uh, my interview with Pete Steele from a couple of years ago, uh, questions that never got answered in the, into the magazine. But yeah, I started, uh, my buddy Greg Smith, uh, he insisted I have a website, danlorenzo.net. I said, dude, why am I going to have a website? He's like, oh, people, you know, less were known than you have a website. There's a guy, danlorenzo.com who's a, a, a high school uh, track guy, and he's got a website. You should have a website. And I'm like, oh, God, why? He was so insistent on me making a website, and finally I said, you know, if I'm going to have a website, I should at least have a couple new songs. So I recorded and sang a song lead for the first of my life, and all because of that, because Greg Smith harassed me to start, he wanted to make a website for me, and I said, i got to have some new music on there. It kind of all spiraled from there. Then I made a copies of the first album and the mail to a bunch of people. And Blitz really loved my first CD. It was a purple one called uh, Cassius King. Right. Blitz loved the CD, and he told me, "Hey, the next time when you do your next record, I want to sing on the whatever Aerosmith cover you do." So, Blitz comes down to the studio one night. I'm doing Bright Light Fright off of Aerosmith, uh, Draw the Line. Blitz is like, "I never even heard this song." I'm like, "You kidding me? It's like a classic." So, because Blitz did another lyric to that, I had him sing a song I wrote called uh, Too Fast to Hate. And then the next solo CD, I said, hey, dude, I got a song I want you to sing on, a whole song for you, and he was too busy. And basically, my three solo CDs is what, what made the curse happen. You know, I kept writing, I was like on such a roll of writing songs, and finally Blitz said, all right, let's do a fucking record together, you know? <laughs> that's cool. That's uh, definitely cool. That's, uh, you know, that's sort of why we do these interviews to get those little juicy tidbits out there. Cause I'm sure sure. there aren't too many people out there that know, you know, the evolution of, you know, your solo work and, and how that did lead to the curse. Victor, there's actually an enormous demand for my soul, my three solo CDs. Is there? I I saw that. No, I'm kidding. I'm (laughs) joking. I'm joking. You're the only person that actually knows about my three solo CDs. Well, you know, I saw that they were sold out on the website, and I was actually going through iTunes a little earlier today to see, you know, how much of the nonfiction in Hades stuff was available. And I, you know, was one of my questions was going to be to ask you if you were going to reissue any of those albums or if any of that would be available, say, in, um, through a digital uh, a retailer in the future. Well, my three solo CDs are all on iTunes, and I also have copies of Nice Being Alone, the second one, which is probably the worst one. I have uh, copies of that available on danlorenzo.net. And uh, we just put Hades Damnation just went up on iTunes a few months ago for the first time. 
right. we're we're re-releasing the first three albums in Europe, so those will be up. Those are on iTunes now, anyway. Not the live album, but the first two Hades albums. I believe the first two nonfiction CDs are on iTunes, and we're going to stick up. Um, it's a wonderful lie, probably in the next few months. Okay, very cool. So, be on the lookout. Within the next few months, you can buy everything that uh, Dan Lorenzo has played on. Except for the downside and save yourself, which we haven't. Right now, we don't have plans of putting those up on iTunes, but it'll all eventually be up there. Okay, cool. And uh, the last band that I need to ask you about is the infamous Screaming Metal. Oh, my God. (laughs) How did that come about? Well, I was watching the best music TV show I've ever seen on heavy metal on TV on the Fuse uh, a couple years ago. And Mark and John, I'm like, man, these guys like have no attitude. They're talking about cool stuff. And then they they jammed with a band, like the band they were interviewing, they jammed a song, a cover song. And I'm like, this is the coolest show ever. So my wife said, email them, email them. I'm like, I'm not going to email them because they won't know who I am. They won't answer my email and be embarrassing to me. So I sent them both uh, an email. It said the cursed Hades nonfiction, hoping they might have heard of one of my bands. And, um, they wrote back right away and said, why don't you come for an interview, you know, on their, on their podcast. So I walk into the interview and they were just really nice guys. And John said to me, I love your kiss covers. He's like, we should jam kiss covers sometime. I'm like, yeah. So if you want, Ron with Mickey, who was on Hades damnation and my three solo CDs and now he's an overkill. I said, Ron and I, we, we love jam and kiss songs. So why don't, why don't we do it? So I, I invited Mark and John to come jam kiss songs. And then I said, you know what? Uh, Mark didn't know a ton of Kiss songs, so I said, well, why don't we do a couple other songs, and I'll invite Alan Tecchio down. And uh, we had one rehearsal, and we thought it was just for fun. And then Mark and John started talking like, oh, I think, Ron, you should play this like this. I'm like, what do they care? Like, why do they, what does it matter? We're just jamming. And then they wanted to jam again. I'm like, oh, they want to jam again. Okay. <laughs> and we were just like, what the hell's going on here? And then Mark and John wanted to jam again. I'm like, what is going, these guys, like, they think this is a band. <laughs> we don't want to be in a cover band, you know? And the next thing you know, it just became so much fun that we said, now what the hell, let's do a show. So we did a couple shows. We did two shows. We did one a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had people like Metal Mike from Halford come on stage with us. We had uh, uh, Rob Dukes from Exodus come up and sing Seek and Destroy with us. We had John Costco from St. Cain and uh, the band Dropbox with the bass player from Danzig, Steve Zing, who uh, lives right up the road from me. Uh, we, had, we did Twisted Cain with him, uh, Twisted Cain. Then we had Mark Tornillo from TT Quick and Accept. He came up and did three songs with us. So we, we make it real loose and fun. We do a bunch of cover songs, all cover songs, and we have different people come up and jam with us. So it's been, you know, we only had two shows, both shows. I mean, the perfect word was just fun. It was just so much fun, both shows. Cool. And do you envision this being a, a yearly event? I guess we could talk about it. We're not opposed to it. But I have to say, Mr. Astronomy has not emailed me back or called me since the show, since the last show. So okay. you got to tell okay. Astronomy, Lorenzo says you're AWOL, man. You better, you better stay in touch. I will make sure and, uh, uh, as soon as we get off the phone to email him and, and make sure that he gets in contact with you Thank as soon you. as possible. Thank you, Victor. <laughs> I know he's, um, he's been busy of late working with Ace Freely, actually. Right, so. that's right, yeah. Well, I've been begging him for a copy of Ace Freely's my his last solo CD, so uh, tell Johnny that as well. Okay, you haven't heard Anomaly yet, or 
no, I haven't. I heard it. I saw a commercial for it on TV. I, I heard a little bit, but you know, I'm not super, I'm not like one to go out to search new music. I mean, I just listen to the stuff I grew up on. I got a thousand CDs in my house, and I probably pull out the same twenty-five or thirty CDs when I drive to work to listen to in the morning. You know. Right. Gotcha. Okay. And um, as far as screaming metal uh, is concerned, did you have to deal with any egos within the band? Uh, no, they had to deal with my ego. So <laughs> that was the only ego. Was uh, They tried to have a banana introduce us, and I uh, threatened to quit the band. Uh, CC Banana introduced our first show, and I actually had him thrown out of the dressing room. So just <laughs> they had to put up with my ego. That's the only ego involved with Screaming Metal was my, my own ego. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, <laughs> As far as the um, set list is concerned, uh, you mentioned that uh, you know Mark didn't know a ton of Kiss songs and whatnot. Uh, is there one person that picks the majority of the songs, or is that just absolutely? Alan and I pick all the songs, and we say play these guys, play these songs, and we're going to quit the band. <laughs> um, you know what? I guess everybody has picked some songs, but uh, I guess Alan knows what he can sing and what to work, and right. and. Uh, it was funny because Mark and John had picked a, a Merciful Fate song, which we never got down, and Mark picked uh, Swords and Tequila by Riot, and we played it, and we're like, oh, man, nobody knows these song, this song. So we, we right. kind of picked the songs that, that are not like uh, the obvious, like we're not playing Living After Midnight or whatever, but we're playing songs that people pretty much know if they have other bands' albums, you know? The deeper right. tracks, though. Right, right. I, I got you. I, I helped Mark out with, uh, with picking tracks for the station, and uh, he actually... Uh, mentioned the fact that uh, you guys played uh, Saints in Hell the, the first time around. Both times, yeah. Alan both. sings the shit out of it. Alan does a real good job on that song. Okay, and he was saying how, you know, not that it was disheartening, but that it was, uh, that it sort of sucked that, you know, the song was so good live, but that people still loved, you know, the Living After Midnight type, like, big hits, that that's what they rose to when... Possibly Saints in Hell was actually one of the best songs you guys played. Yeah, I mean, it's like when I go see Judas Priest and they play You've Got Another Thing Coming, I go to the bathroom. Like, I don't even understand why, how. Like, like I understand, like, back in the 80s, they played that song when they played live because maybe House Moms, who was the only song they knew. But, like, right. why they would play that in 2010 is, I don't get it. Saw them last year here in Spain. They did a tour called The Priest Feast, and it was Testament, Megadeth, and Them. They closed with You Got Another Thing Coming, and it was 13 minutes long. Oh, my God. See, that, that, that's why, I, I mean, I hate to sound like, you know, I go to Judas Priest concerts, and I think they're phenomenal. I love them. I saw them in Vegas last year, but, uh, you know, I generally stay for half a set because my attention span is really short. Is there anything else that uh, you want to plug before wrapping yeah, just, things up? If people could check out www.danlorenzo.net. Like I said, I'm going to start a blog because I don't write the Stepping Out magazine anymore. Um, I'm going to post a – it'll be kind of like my column used to be, except for that I'm going to start off with an interview that I did with Pete Steele years ago that I think uh, gives some insight into the man. And I'm going to post that real soon, probably by the time this airs. Hey, this is Dan Lorenzo from Hades, nonfiction, the curse, and my horrible solo music. You're listening to my boy Victor on Mars Attack.
Damnation album is up on iTunes. Go out and buy it. Go out and check out all that Hades has put out. Nonfiction and then Lorenzo's solo music. Although uh, he's quick to point out that he feels that it's horrible. I think that's part of his stick. And actually, he sort of admitted to that. But anyway, all that is up on iTunes. Check it out. And as I always say, support the bands you love. You know, um, also, again, want to thank Joey Z for hooking everything up with the guys from Misery. And um, hope you guys enjoyed uh, both interviews and enjoyed, um, you know, the music that was uh, played as well. You got a little bit of uh, Dan Lorenzo's solo music there. Again, some Misery, some of the greatest fear, some nonfiction and Hades. And we'll wrap things up with a song by The Cursed. Before doing so, just want to uh, remind you to go to MarsAttacksRadio.com and uh, check out previous podcasts, check out links to reviews that I'm doing for Metal Army America or things that I'm adding to the Talking Metal Wire. Uh, also want to remind you that I also do a show in Spanish called Fusion Sonica. And similar to the Mars Attacks radio website, you can listen to or download the podcast directly from FusionSonica.com. Have a bunch of interviews there lately from a bunch of national bands from here in Spain. Uh, we'll be doing an all-music episode shortly, and we'll have a uh, first anniversary special in the next few weeks, we'll actually be doing a sort of a get-together. So if anyone is interested in flying out to the rainy north of Spain, it's been raining here for about two straight weeks, um, and partaking in the festivities, it's basically just a barbecue and a get-together with all the bands that I've interviewed so far, um, you're more than welcome to come along. Um, in any event... Thanks again for listening to this episode. Any questions, comments, or concerns, send those to victor at marsattacksradio.com. And uh, let me leave you with a great, great track. And I mean this with all sincerity. It's one of the best tracks that I've heard come out in the last few years. This is Evil in the Bag by The Cursed coming off of A Room Full of Sinners. And uh, that's pretty much it. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed everything. And see you next time, right here on Mars Attacks. So the devil on it, and everyone came. She likes to be asked before she is kissed.